Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's good to see you, and I totally agree with DJ. This is a good-looking group of people right here. Much better than Saturday night people, I'm just telling you. Maybe it's just because you're up and alive and had your coffee and they've worked in the yard all day. I'm not sure, but you look good. You look good. Hey, real quick before I jump in, um, I just want to just uh, update you on something that happened yesterday um, with Shine Church and something that uh, some of you, I'm looking through the room, some of you are involved in, um, some of you were not involved, but you actually saw it happen, um, and that is this. We participated in the Douglas County Parade yesterday. Um, I believe, from what I understand, we were, if not the only church that was there, one of the only churches that were there. And what was our, uh, what was our part in it? Well, we brought our kazoo band. And it was awesome. I'm just telling you right now to be a part of it. Uh, it is just, it's a little nerve-wracking. You're walking down the street, and there's just, I mean, thousands of people on the, on the side of the watching you play the kazoo. But there was enough of us where, you know, nobody was looking at any single person. So here's what I want, a couple things. Next year, last week in July, you're a part of the kazoo band. Just commit to it now. Just get ready for it. I, I'm giving you 364 days to prepare your heart and get ready for that. Uh, but here's, here's what's really neat. Um, the, the participation, but then walking down the street and seeing faces from Shine Church cheering us on and, yeah, Shine Church! And we got all kinds of pictures and all kinds of posts. Um, but <laughs> here's, here's what's really great about it. It, it. it brings exposure, yes, to Shine Church, but it brings exposure to God. And, and here's, here's what I was watching as we were marching down the street playing our kazoo. You get one of two reactions. You get this one. Like, what in the world is this group of people doing? Are you kidding me? Or you get this one. As we're walking by, we start to play the kazoos, and they're like. So here's what we are thinking for next year. We're going to get like a 1,000 kazoos, and the people that respond that way, after we get done with our song, we're going to give them all kazoos. The hope is we start with 60, 70, 80 people, and by the time we're done, we got a 1,000 people walking behind us. Yeah? <laughs> it, was just, it was just an awesome event. It was so much fun. Um, here's, here's why we do it. Um, we did it two years ago, and um, here, here's the little testimony that came out of it. About six months later, uh, a new family came in to the church, and I always ask, how'd you hear about us? And the parents go, well, we actually go to another church, and they're not having church service this weekend. So we asked our kids, where do you want to go to church? And the kids said, this is six months later, the kids said, we want to go to that church that played the kazoos at the parade. <laughs> yes! That is amazing. That is just absolutely amazing. So for those who participated, thank you so much for participating with us. For those that uh, cheered us on, thank you for that. Um, and for those of you that are like, first time you've ever heard of a kazoo band, um, get ready for next year because we want, we want you to be a part of it. So, hey, we are in a series um, this summer that we're, we're just going over stories. We called the series just, or the, the series just stories. And um, what we're doing is we're going through some of the biblical stories um, that have inspired us as a teaching team. And so we've talked about Moses. We had a couple weeks on Moses. Um, we talked about Joseph. And what I would like to talk about this morning is Nehemiah. Now, there's 13 chapters in the book of Nehemiah, and so I don't have enough time to go through every aspect, aspect of it. But I do believe that there 
uh, is just a, a heart that, that the Lord wants for every single one of us to receive and some, some really good stuff from this book. Um, some challenging stuff, to be quite honest with you, but also some hopefully very encouraging stuff as, as I just share what I believe that God has asked me to share. Now, um, here's, here's the truth. I'm just going to be completely open and transparent with you. Uh, <laughs> I know this is going to sound terrible. My voice hurts from playing the kazoo. I went all out, man, I'm telling you. And it's scratchy, and I'm, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> so bear with me on that part. But then I'm also, I'm also tired. I, I did it to myself, but we did the kazoo band, and then we're trying to rent a house in the Highlands Ranch, so I had a showing, then I had a baby dedication, then we came and I did church last night, and then I had a meeting after church last night, and then another uh, birthday party to go to after that. So just go and go and go. So I find myself tired. So here's what I'm going to do, and I ask this from time to time, um, but this morning I'm, I'm just praying that the Lord will speak to one of you. I would like one of you to open this service in prayer and pray for me and pray for everybody in here and those online to receive uh, what, what God has for them. And I think Jazzy is the one that wants to pray. That's awesome. No, it's just kidding. Uh, who would be bold enough to take the mic and pray for the service? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can be here today. And for all the good people that have come to church today and participated in this service, and please bless Dan, that he will give us a great message and that we will listen to it in our hearts and be open and bless his voice. It'll last to the end. And thank you for this beautiful day and for all the things that we have in our lives that are good. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yes. All right, here we go. Nehemiah, before I get into it, I need to give you a little background. So let me um, try to do this as quick as possible. Okay, so we have the Israelites. They, uh, Moses sets them free from Egyptian slavery. Um, takes them, they wander the desert for 40 years. Uh, Moses passed away. Joshua takes them into the promised land. Um, they live in the promised land for, for quite a while, and they decide that they want to have a king. Uh, we obviously know that Saul became a king, and then David became the king. David followed after the Lord, <clears throat> and then after David, what begins to happen is the new kings. Um, we hear in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you read the testimony of the Israelites following God, not following God, not following God, following God, not following God, not following God, not following God, following God, not following, not following. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse as they far, fall farther and farther away from God. In the middle of all of this, we have pro prophetic words being spoken out that because they keep falling away from God and not following his precepts, <clears throat> not following the commands that he had given, that what then began to, the prophe prophecies began to speak over that Jerusalem would be taken, Israel would be taken by another country. And sure enough, that's what happened. The Babylonians come in and they wipe out Jerusalem. They, they, they knock the walls down, they burn the city, they knock the temple down, they completely destroy it, they take all of the uh, Jewish people as captives um, and bring them to various different places. And we get different stories, like stories from the book of Daniel and those kind of things that happened during this time. Um, and that happened in the year 586, that Babylonians came and took over Jerusalem. 
about 47 years later, so 539 BC, um, Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians, okay? And then three years after that, there was a king, King Cyrus, that decided that he wanted to allow the Jewish people to actually start going back to Jerusalem. And so he actually made a decree, and a man named Zerubbabel actually um, followed the king's orders and went back to Jerusalem with some of the exiles. Now, do you guys know what an exile is? What? Very good. I didn't know that. So I looked it up, and it's, that's, it's captured people. So get a picture of this. The king makes a decree that says, hey, some of the people that the Babylonians have captured that we are now over, we want, I want to let them return back to their home. And so he allows Zerubbabel to take some of these captured people back to um, Jerusalem, and they begin to rebuild the temple. Now, there's enemies that don't like this, that don't agree with what's taking place, and so they kind of stand up against that, and there's a time period that uh, they, they stop building the temple, and then King Darius uh, is reminded that this decree was given by King Cyrus, and so Darius says, hey, get back and finish that temple, and so the temple is completely rebuilt in 516 BC. Now, why is that important? Because you need to realize that's exactly 70 years, which is exactly what the prophecies had said, that Jerusalem would be taken by another nature, or, but nation, and that 70 years later, it would be restored. And this is incredible because if this hadn't happened, um, guess what? Our Bible becomes very fallible and it's something that you can't put trust in. But it just over and over, prophecies from the Old Testament that begin to be fulfilled or are going to be fulfilled, we can find it over and over. And you guys realize it would just take one for somebody to come and totally destroy the word of God. And yet every one of them either has come to pass or will come to pass. And so here's one of those. All right. It moves on about another um, 45, 55, uh, 60 years later, and Ezra actually is encouraged to take another group of exiles to Jerusalem to start setting up um, more of a Jewish impact in Jerusalem. But get the picture here. The temple's been rebuilt, but the walls around the city haven't, and so those people who don't agree with uh, the Jewish belief didn't agree with the Jews were coming against them, okay? And so that's kind of where we pick up the story because Nehemiah, it says in the word of God, rebuilds Jerusalem's wall in the year 444. And so um, right around there, 445, this is where uh, most scholars believe we're picking up the story of Nehemiah. Okay, got the background? Kind of give you just some context for what we're gonna go to. All right, again, I don't have enough time to read the entire 13 chapters, here's what I encourage you. This week, go home, read through Nehemiah. Read through it a couple times. Maybe make highlights of things that jump off the page as you're reading it. Um, I just want to share some of the things that jumped off the page as I was studying, but also some of the things that I've read in the past that have been incredibly encouraging to me as I've read through the story of Nehemiah. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Now, real quick, why are they in trouble and disgrace? No wall. Why else? 
Opposition. Okay, so get a picture. There's no wall. People can come in and out very freely. They can oppose what they're doing, what they believe. The temple has been established. I'm sure they probably don't have the same belief systems. And so when the Jewish people go into worship and to do sacrifice, they're probably resisting that, coming against that. So get the picture. And this is the report that's given back to Nehemiah. Those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And I want you to listen to Nehemiah's response. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I'm going to read it one more time. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, I'm pretty sure that most of you are familiar with Nehemiah and the fact that the rest of this book actually talks about him doing this great feat of building this wall. As a matter of fact, they built the wall, which from what I understand was in complete ruin. They built the entire thing in 52 days. If you've ever been to Israel, it's a big wall. This is a miracle. This is a big thing. I'm 52 days. We'll talk about it in just a minute. But he had done a, a great feat, and I think we would all agree to that. Um, what I want to ask you, though, today is you see in Nehemiah that when he heard these things, he sat down and wept. He mourned and fasted and prayed. What breaks your heart that would make you weep, mourn, fast, and pray? What would break your heart? Because here's what I believe. Every single one of us, church, has been created with a purpose and a reason for being here right now, today. It's no coincidence that you're sitting here listening even in this message, but it's absolutely no coincidence that you're in the world right now, right here, today. There's a reason God's put something in you. He's put a purpose. He's put a plan for you to be here today. If you're wondering why you are here, then I'm going to ask you and challenge you, ask yourself what breaks your heart. Because I believe that what breaks your heart was put in you by your creator. And each one of us has something different that God has put into each one of us differently. Yes? I don't know about you, but I know with Kim and I, my, my wife, uh, Kim, Kim will watch a TV show or hear a news report or read something and she'll start to tear up. And I'll look at her and she'll be like, you are so hard-hearted. But then we'll watch something else, and I'll have tears in my eyes. She'll look at me and just laugh. Are you crying? What is that? What is that thing that breaks your heart? Okay, here's another way to ask it. What is it that creates that passion in you? What moves you? And it's different for every single person. It could be a report on the news that breaks your heart of something, some injustice, and it just breaks your heart. Well, I would submit to you that God has put that in you because he wants you to do something about it. Okay? Now, it, it's, always, it's not always some big cause, some big injustice. It can be simple and little things. It could be a car mechanic that just has a heart to, to, to not only a heart, but has the gifting to build and rebuild and to fix and repair. And maybe God has put that in you, and every time you see somebody down with a broken, a broken down car, you just want to go help them out. Here's what it is for me. Early on in my ministry... I felt like God told me that he wanted me to come alongside people and help them become great in what God was calling them to. 
to come along and partner and to help them to pull those things out of them and to actually become great in the things that, that God has. Here's something very interesting. I don't cry in the normal cry scenes in movies or TV shows where my wife has tears streaming down her face. I know this is going to sound terrible. People dying and all that. I'm just like, oh, yeah. it's a movie. It, and she's like, you just cold, callous person. I, it doesn't get me. But here's what happens. If in a movie or a TV show or in real life, somebody comes to a place where they reach their full potential, because <laughs> God has put in me, church, a desire, the thing that he loves, and the beautiful thing about God is that he has all these things that he puts in us, and we get little pieces, yes? And so my question to you is, what breaks your heart? What, what brings that passion? And if you are listening to me right now and you're like, I just don't know, well then I, I don't even want you to listen to me for the rest of the message. Here's what I want you to do. Just ask God to begin to speak to you what that thing is. Ask him what you're passionate about. Think about what you're passionate, what moves you, what brings you to that place of, of where maybe tears rise up or maybe there's anger or just, oh man, I, what is that? Because, oh man, get this guys, because until we understand why we're here and created, we will not be able to make an impact into this world. We can go do a lot of good things and miss the God thing that he has for us. Listen to that. We can go do a lot of good things and miss the God thing that he would have us do. Sometimes the opposite of great is not the evil or bad, but sometimes it's good. And we substitute what God has wired us for and given us the purpose and plan to be here for something that somebody else is doing. Just let that sit for a little bit. Okay, so what does Nehemiah do? After he weeps and mourns and prays, um, he actually prays again. <laughs> it says, I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. And then in verse 511, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, encourage you to read it. Nehemiah begins to pray. Um, I heard a speaker just last weekend actually talk about the power of prayer in the body of Christ. What is it about prayer that makes us clam up and get all tight and tense? How come when I asked for somebody to pray for this service, not every single hand went up? I'm serious right now. This is supposed to be the most powerful thing that a Christian can have in their life is the ability to directly connect to God. You know one of the reasons Jesus, Siri is talking to me right now. Um, sorry. Um, do you know one, that was so distracting. That was weird. Okay, sorry. Do you know that um, I believe one of the things that the enemy would love to do is hinder our ability to connect with God? And yet one of the reasons Jesus died on the cross is because and to give us direct access to the Father. Do you know that? You have direct access to the Father. You no longer have to go to the high priest to hear from God. Back before Jesus died, you had to go to the high priest. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He'd hear from God. He'd come out. He'd tell the other priests. The other tell, priests would tell the tribal leaders. Tribal leaders would tell the clan and, and then the family head. That's how it used to be. But now because of Jesus, you and I have direct access to God. You do not need to hear from me Anything that God's telling you, because the Holy Spirit will speak directly to you because you have direct access to God, and it comes through communicating with him. And we call that prayer. 
why is it that I can gather a group of people together and we can be sitting in a circle and we can be just talking about whatever it is and everybody has a voice, everybody has an opinion, everybody has a thought. The second I say, let's pray, nobody speaks. I know you can talk, I just heard you. But there's something about prayer that just shuts us down. Yes? And I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to be like Nehemiah. When you find that thing that God puts in your heart, start to pray. Go after him. Seek him and say, God, what does this look like? What does it mean? Begin to pray. Begin to have communication with him. He wants to hear from you. And more important, he wants to speak to you. I believe he's speaking to us all the time but we just don't have our spiritual antennas up. Man, he wants to speak to us all the time. So here's what Nehemiah does. He starts to pray, and here's what he prays. He first says, hear me. What a great way to start your prayer. Hear me, God. God, I'm about to communicate with you. Would you please listen? And the great news is we know that he does. Then it says that he confesses Israel's sins. And he begins to confess what the Israelites had done and how they had fallen away. Then it says that he reminds God of his promise. And God's promise was this, that if you turn back to me, I will restore and I will regather you. And that's what had happened here. He was restoring and regathering the Jewish people. And then he asks for favor. He asks for favor. Okay. You get from God what is the passion, that, the thing that breaks your heart. First thing you need to do, pray. Pray that God would hear you. Pray that God would forgive you for where maybe you've missed it. Maybe, you've, maybe you just haven't followed through. Maybe you stepped out. Then you ask God to go through and be faithful to what he promised, which is if he called you to it, he's going to make sure it happens. If you'll be willing to step in with him. On that, And then you begin to ask for favor. Because from time to time, when you step out into what God has called you to do, you need the favor to walk in those things. Yes? And I love the fact that Nehemiah prays for favor. And then we pick up in chapter 2 exactly what happens. And I put in my notes, when we pray for God's heart, expect his favor. See, a lot of times we're asking for God's favor in things that we haven't heard from God yet. And then we get discouraged and dissatisfied because he hasn't put the favor in our life because we're stepping out on our own. Everybody okay? All right, real quick, disclaimer. I am not giving this message to create any condemnation or any guilt in anyone. That is not the heart of this. The heart is to challenge and let the Holy Spirit convict all of us into what he would have for us and to step on into that. I believe with all of my heart that when we hear from God what he has purposed and planned in us, and when we begin to pray for that and we begin to step out, then what happens is God begins to push his favor into our lives. Now listen to what happens for Nehemiah. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, <clears throat> in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked, I'm going to stop real quick. I had not been sad in the present. So get the picture here. Because I don't think we have context. And I don't think we understand this in this society, in this world today. Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer. What does the cupbearer do? Anybody? Drinks the wine. Why do they drink the wine? To test for poison. 
Ah, you guys are not only a good-looking group, but you're a smart group. The cupbearer was actually to sample the wine to make sure that nobody had gotten any poison to kill the king. So it's a very important position. But as we know and as we've seen in other stories in the Bible, that if you weren't in favor with the cupbearer, or if you weren't in favor with the king, that you would either be put in prison or worse, you'd be killed. Yes? And so I want you to understand that context as we read this. I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Why hadn't he been sad? Because what? Because he could lose his job? He could lose his head. Think about that. Here's the cupbearer, and I'm sure he had bad days, but in front of the king, there was never a bad day. But this burden that the, God, that the Lord had put on his heart was so great that he could not fake it. And so he goes before the king, and the king says this, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Some translations say depression. I was very much afraid. Do you see it? He's like, oh, no. I've blown it this time. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. <laughs> nice way to start it, yeah. Well, may you live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by the fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I love what he, the next sentence says. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. One of the things that as we were talking about this message with the teaching team, uh, Pastor Janelle said, that she was struck by how many times Nehemiah prayed. Prayed, 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 prayed. And I don't know about you, but I want this more in my life. Because what un ends up happening is that I end up going on my own in my flesh and doing my own thing. And it's like, you know, three hours, three days, three weeks later, and I'm like, oh, I should involve God in this. Anybody else? But the first thing that, that Nehemiah does is that he prays. So can you imagine? The king asked this question, and I'm sure it was like, okay, God, help me. Give me the right words. Okay, all right. Well, and he answered, okay? And here's what the rest of chapter 2 basically says, is that um, he was given favor by the king and instructed to go to Jerusalem and to do what he felt was right, which was ultimately rebuild the walls, right? And so I put in my notes, Nehemiah prayed, he was bold and courageous, and then he followed through. He prayed, he was bold and courageous, and then he followed through. See, I believe there's a lot of people listening to me right now, whether you're here in person or online listening to me, that God has spoke to you, and you know what breaks your heart, and you know what that thing is, and he's, he's spoken to you, and maybe at one time there was a boldness and a courage, but then you just didn't follow through. Forever, for whoever has the ears to hear, I want to encourage you, follow through in what God has told you to do. Now is the time. You are here, as we talked about earlier, you are here for a reason and purpose, just very much as Nehemiah was there for that time and for that purpose. And so be bold and be courageous. Step out in what God has for you. Pray and follow through in what he's asked you to do. And then understand this, 
whatever God breaks our heart for and asks us to build, the enemy will do whatever he can to stop us and discourage us. And we see this in the book of Nehemiah because the king tells him, go do what you see is right. And he goes and he begins to look at the city walls and he begins to, he, it says at night he investigated to see what the damage was. Then he put together a bunch of the Israelites, the Jews, and, and began to build the wall. And then like we said, he built it in 52 days. But in the middle of the process, and I'm going to read several little verses, the enemy hated what he was doing and started to resist this whole process. Matter of fact, it started in Nehemiah 2.10. So the king asks him what's wrong. He tells him the king gives him permission. And the very next verse says this. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, officially heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Okay, so the first thing that happens when you step out into the thing that God has called you to do, people around you, and it could be family, it could be friends, it could be people inside this church, will all of a sudden become disturbed about what God has called you to do. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I wish I could say it was just the world that would be disturbed, but unfortunately, it is even in the church because here's what happens. When you have a call from God, it's for you to walk out in. And unfortunately, the world has got into the church where when we see a call on somebody else's life, if it's not the same call in us, we mock and ridicule and go, oh, that's disturbing. And it's not. It's different it's different than what you've been called to, but never ridicule and never be disturbed by somebody else's calling. As a matter of fact, the body of Christ won't be the full body of Christ until we start to embrace each other's callings and step out together. So grab a hold of that understanding and understand that the enemy is going to try to stir that up. In Nehemiah 2.19, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem, there's another person added to this, Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing that? Are you rebelling against the king? And so, okay, so they're disturbed. Then they put their, their up, the being upset into words, and they're like, what are you doing? Are, do you have the permission to do this? Do you have the authority to do this? And so when God puts something in your heart and you begin to step out and you have the boldness and the courage to step out and, and you, I'm following through on this, expect a resistance and expect people to question what you're doing. Okay, hold on. Do we have the mic? It's just a little comment, but I think it's so true. And they twist it. It always seems like it's a little more than just ridicule. They twist the Ooh. good intention into something that's way more bad, I guess. Love, a good point. Hey, if you're new here this morning, uh, we are very interactive. And so if you have any thoughts, or just lift your hand. I will stop and we'll talk about it because uh, I don't want anybody to leave confused. If you have a question or a comment, please just let us know. But that's really good. Not only do they start questioning it, but they start twisting it. Are you prepared? Are you ready? I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm telling you this to put you in a place where you're like, okay, I'm going to step out on what God has for me, and I'm expecting there's going to be a resistance. Because anything that God puts in you, is going to, he's going to accomplish, the enemy's going to come to try to discourage you in. Yes? How about this one? Nehemiah 4.3. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what, what, are, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Okay, so they've been disturbed. They've actually been... Uh, starting to vocally be about it, now they start to ridicule what you're doing. 
oh, you, what you're doing, it won't last. It won't make it. I mean, look at the picture here. Even the fox, these little teeny paws, knock frogs down. They, that wall won't stand. That won't last. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm imagining that they're seeing this wall go up in a supernatural rate, and they're like, oh, that, that can't be good. That, I mean, that just, and so then they start to say to Nehemiah and to the people building, what you're building won't last. It won't, it won't make it. Expect the resistance of people to actually start to tell you what you're doing isn't going to be good. Don't let that discourage you. Don't let you push that away from your dream and what God has put in your heart. And I think many people have had something spoken to them that when resistance came, they've pulled back and they've stopped. Press on. Don't stop. Keep going. Find somebody that will come alongside you and help you with this. Nehemiah 4.8, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against her. Okay, they're still moving forward. They're still pushing in. They can't be dissuaded by words, so they begin to actually physically threaten and go after them. And this is where we learn in the, in the story that they actually were building with one hand and a sword in the other hand. Be ready to move out in the thing that God has for you, but build with one hand and be ready to fight in the other. Do you get the picture of this? I don't think it was just for Nehemiah. I, I believe all of the word of God points to Jesus and what ultimately he has for us. I think, yes, this is a, an incredible illustration in the story, but I think it's something very practical that we can put into our lives here and now today. Understand that sometimes you may have to build and fight at the same time. Fight for what God has called to you to. Fight and stand for that. Nehemiah 6.9, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hand will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed. There he is again, Nehemiah praying. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. Now strengthen my hands. The resistance. And I, okay, so I just read five verses. There's way more than that about the resistance. Read it. Read it this week. And look at all that the enemy was trying to do. And yet, be encouraged by the steadfast of Nehemiah. Because I'm here to tell you that Nehemiah was just a man like you are just a man or a woman in here. There was nothing supernatural, nothing super special about Nehemiah other than he heard what God called him to. He prayed about it. And he was bold and courageous to step out in it. And guess what? You and I can do the exact same thing. I think a lot of times we take the people in the Bible, the historical characters, and we put them on a pedestal. And yes, they've done mighty things, and yes, we get to read about that. But you know what? What God has called you to do, he will empower you to do as well. Just in the way that he created Nehemiah to do these great things, he created you and I to do great things too. It might not look like the same thing. We're not going to go to Jerusalem and build the wall. I can guarantee that. But there is something that he wants us to build. Be ready for resistance. Then, check out what happens in chapter 3. I love this. We have this, this happening to Nehemiah where, where they're having to build with one hand and, and fight with a sword. Um, but in chapter 3, we get a picture of what this looks like. And I think this is a key element, not only to this story, but to the effectiveness of Shine Church and the effectiveness of the church in the world. And that is this. In chapter 3, the words next to, next to, are used 21 times. 
in one chapter. 21 times. Try to give this to an understanding of what that looks like here. It's basically saying that as Nehemiah put this team together, that one would start working on one section next to the next tribe or clan leader, next to the next tribe leader, next, next, next. And they were repairing. The word repair is used 39 times in the chapter. And so they, they, him, Nehemiah, didn't do this alone. He did it with people alongside of him. And so the equivalent would be is that I'm next to Cooper and Emily, who are next to Kim and Brad, who are next to DJ and Cammie, who are next to John and Lori, who are next to Alan and Jenny, and we are building something great together. And we all have different stones, and we all have different things that we're doing, but we're doing it together. See, church, what happened is they thought they were building a wall together. What they ended up building was a community together. See, I thought that was better than that. They were building a community together. This is why we're willing to shut the doors one weekend of a month so that we can go into people's houses because we believe that people need to live life together. They were doing life together at this point. They were battling together. They were building together. Can you imagine the conversations and the discussions and, hey, I need help over here, and five, six people came over and helped. The reason we're doing house church is because we believe that community will be built stronger and tighter in these groups, these smaller groups, because the truth is we can only have so much community here on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, yes? There's only so much that can be said in our three-minute greeting time. And unless you're super intentional, which I know some of you are, to take people out for lunch or maybe even meet before the service and get together, unless you do that, it's so easy to come in here, worship a little, hear a message, and walk out and be strong on Sunday afternoon, maybe on Monday morning, but by Friday you're bleh. Yes? But when you have a community and a group of people together and you know you're fighting together, man, you can call each other. I know we have house churches that they've got a group text string that anytime somebody's struggling, it goes out and, dude, people are praying immediately. There's strength that comes from that. There's strength from doing this life together. And so as God stirs something in your heart, bring those things in prayer to him be bold and courageous and follow through asking for favor and knowing that God is going to give you favor in those things. There's going to be resistance, but you have a group of people in this room that want to come alongside you and help you. Yes? Be committed to not only what God's called you to, but be committed to helping somebody else or somebody else's in this room that God's called things to them. What is your part to play? As we were talking to the teaching team, I love what DJ said. He said, what stone or what stones do you, do you bring to the work? What are the elements, what are the pieces that you bring? Because you might think that your piece isn't important, but I'm telling you, until we have all the pieces, we're not a full body. And I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it talks about spiritual gifts, but right in the middle of it, it actually talks about the body of Christ being like the, our physical bodies. And we get this from a natural understanding. Um, if my knee stops working all of a sudden, what? Oh, my gosh. I'd just start preaching like this because I could not stop giving you the word. But this, is this distracting at all? <laughs> not at all, right? Well, it's distracting the crud out of me. I, I, 
We get this. If every piece is not in our body physically working, how many of you have complained about a hangnail ever? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Even the littlest thing can upset me. It's like, ugh. And yet we have the capital C church, the body of Christ, where there's all kinds of pieces missing. I can't imagine what it physically looks like if we could get a picture of the body of Christ, how bent up and crippled and misshapen we would look in a physical form. And I want to encourage you that we can change that by finding out what that piece is that we play. What is that thing that God has told us to do? And to be bold and courageous, courageous in stepping out in that thing. And encouraging somebody else that's stepping out in theirs. And not being jealous, envious, or upset at what God has called them to. But when we put it all together, man, it's going to be this beautiful picture of the body of Christ. And we are going to impact the world in a tremendous way when we do that. Yes? So let's do this together. Last point. I'm going to read a section of scripture here, and we're going to go a little interactive. So as I read through these, uh, I believe it's 11 verses, I want you to pay attention to anything that kind of sticks out, that, that touches your heart or jumps out in your, your mind as I'm reading through this. Um, this is after the wall has been completed. It's found in chapter 8. And again, pay a very close attention um, to what jumps out. And then I'm going to ask you um, to be bold and to share uh, maybe that section or that portion uh, that jumped out to you. Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 1. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of a group of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it out loud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this day is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. As I read through that, anything that stood out, that resonated in your heart or mind, just lift up your hand and we'll get the mic so the people online can hear it. Um, I just thought it was interesting that he said, don't grieve. 
you know, more than once. Three times is his max. That's good. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Somebody else. where he um, he says to go send out portions of food to those who don't have any and to celebrate because I just think as God's people, um, not that we don't grieve and mourn when it's appropriate, but I think we should be like celebrating the most lavishly. Like if we put that in context of our neighborhood and just sharing that and just in really Ooh. celebrating. It has that feel of community still here, isn't it? So not only have they built this thing with community, but they're still encouraging this community where they're sharing and giving. And yes, I, I love that picture. Yep. Um, I just thought it was interesting, kind of like the sister over there that was saying um, that he said not to grieve, um, but also that he said people that understood that all these people that came could understand what he was saying. And it's like God turned their mourning into joy, you know, per his command. He Ooh. said, hey, don't, don't be sad about this. Um, because I can only imagine maybe they were grieving, crying, whatever, because they realized what they had done against God. Okay. What, you know, the, the stuff that they did that wasn't right. Yeah. And maybe they're like, oh, my gosh, I've been doing that. Oh, oh my gosh, you know. And then allowing him to say, let's, today, let's turn that around, you know, and let's, let's. Let's party. Joyful, right. Let's, let's have a big God. party. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading, they partied all week long. They played kazoos, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Somebody else. I think about the fact that all these people, the only requirement to be there and listening was just that they were a person. They were a man or a woman. They didn't have to understand. So like you said before, like they're not people on a pedestal. They're people who still have to have the Bible explained to them and don't have all the answers, but they could still do all that work and participate in the community in this amazing miraculous event even though they were just I love it everybody. and and it says that as as the words were read they began to understand which I think is incredibly powerful because I think when when you allow the word to start being spoken to you or you start to read it you know what the Holy Spirit is going to start giving you understanding I think a lot of times people are discouraged from reading this word because uh well I just don't get it all well yeah I don't get it all but I'm starting to learn more and more every time, and I just grab a hold of the things that the Holy Spirit highlights for me that day. And I think exact. I love that. I love what you pulled out there because people start to understand the Word of God as you as they were reading it. I was just going to piggyback on that point. Was like those who were able to understand are those who just showed up. It's like they had a willingness to hear, a willingness to listen. Ooh. They had a desire to want to understand that they, even if they didn't, they had a willingness to listen. Okay, so as you're speaking, not, not in my notes, not planned or prepped at all, but I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, ask them if they're willing. Are you willing? Because that's a huge part. You know what? Church is important without a doubt because there's a fellowship in the gathering and, and we can worship and listen. But are you willing? Are you willing to let your heart break for the things that break in God's heart? Are you willing? And if you're not Start there. Start by saying, God, 
give me a willing heart because I'm not in a place. I'm not in a place right now. So God put me in a place where I'm willing to hear what breaks your heart and why you've put me here. Thank you for sharing that. That was for somebody in here. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Anybody else? just took from it that um, in all that we do, we need to fight back with joy. He says that we, um, that we are not to grieve. The um, joy of the Lord is our strength. But in everything that we um, are asked to do, that we just know that we do it with joy. I thank you for speaking that. Here's, here's one more quick question and then I'll jump in and we'll conclude. Why do you think and I know we've been addressing a little bit. Why do you think they were mourning and weeping? Get the picture. They just built an entire wall around a city in 52 days. Which I don't know of anybody that would argue was just a mighty miracle. And we find them weeping and mourning. Why? Because they had li- just listened to the word of God for four to five hours and understood the gravity of their sin. Mm, okay, that's good. Right here. Oh, that's what you were going to say? So there's a ditto here. Anybody else? I got a tag on that. I'm not sure how you could listen to God's word for four to five hours and not be grieved by the gravity of your sin. They were rightfully grieved by the gravity of their sin. Okay. I remember uh, David Platt has these things he does called Secret Church, and it's based on the Chinese church, but they literally have like six hours of intense discipleship where you literally start at like dinner time, have pizza, and like nonstop listen. And he's, I don't know if you've heard David Platt, but he's pretty rapid fire, like scripture, 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 scripture. And at the time, I'm like, my flesh is like, this is boring. This isn't, he's not very funny. He's not very engaging. Like, all these things, right? I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> I, I prefer to be entertained a little bit. I like speakers that, you know, pull me in with a story and slow, you know, all this. So, you know, that was my, just so you know, that was my thoughts, like, throughout the first half of it. Finally, we, we didn't even stay for the whole time. We ended up leaving, like, at 1030 at night, whatever. The next day, I remember being at Starbucks explaining to my friend Darren and just telling him what I had heard, and I started weeping. Because you, to your point, um, Terry and all of you, you can't expose yourself to the word of God. Like, even if it rubs you the wrong way initially, or even if it kind of, you know, what it makes your, whatever, just gets a negative reaction emotionally at first. But like, it just felt like such a washing and a cleansing and a, it was not a, it was a weeping just out of like, oh my gosh, God, like, wow. I don't know how to even explain it. Anybody else? Not to distract from the word of God and the power of the word of God, but maybe just the personal element of they had been working for a month and a half, and the entire time there were people around them just telling them what you're doing is worthless Mm. and is not going to last, and they finally finish it, but like maybe it's just all worthless and they've wasted the last two months. That's, That's good. 
You know what? Here's the truth, and I'm so glad you said that. We don't fully know why they were mourning and weeping. We can make our assumptions, and we can come up with some pretty good, logically sounded reasons to do that. But maybe, maybe they were exhausted and happy. Have you ever had that weeping in your life? Or, I, or maybe it's the word of God. I, I do believe that there's an element that when you get into this word, this is the foundation, guys. And I believe that as they built the wall, got it completed, that Ezra, Nehemiah, they, they wanted the people to get back to the foundation. And church, I'm going to simply say, get back to the foundation. We have, we have taken this book and we have desensitized it. We have, we have, we've taken pieces out that we don't want to apply anymore because the world doesn't want to apply it anymore. That's scary. We have to take this for what it is. It's the word of God. And I love the reverence for this they had. It says that when Ezra opened the Bible, um, or the word, all the, people, all the people stood up, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Okay, so when I open this, I want you guys to do this. Ready? Amen. All right. We have one that stood. Most of you that raised your hands. Uh, <laughs> we've lost that appreciation and the deep richness of what the word of God is in our life, that has to be the foundation. Get into your word. Pastor Dan, I don't understand it. I, I promise you the Holy Spirit will help you to understand pieces and portions. I don't think there's a single person in this room that understands it wholly. It was written by an infinite God. We are finite. If you could figure it out, God's not that big. Get that. Get that. But there is help in that word. Get back to the word. Apply that. And then I will close by simply saying this. I believe that they were mourning and weeping, probably because they were tired, but also because they were cut to the core of what the word of God was saying. And I want you to look at what Nehemiah and Ezra's response was. It was, stop grieving. Stop grieving. You quoted it. It's one of the most used scriptures in the word of God, and people will use it all the time. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Have you ever known the context of it? Nehemiah says, don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I believe what God would tell you today is this. Rejoice in the victories that you have with him. It is so easy to do great things for God or do even simple things for God and look at the area where we missed it instead of the area that we got it right. They say that it takes 10 positive things to overcome one negative thing. So let me resubmit this in a different way. You could do 10 great things for God, but focus, weep, and mourn on the one thing where you missed it. And Nehemiah and Ezra are saying, hey, this is not a time for that mourning and weeping. This is a time for celebration. And as a matter of fact, you should not grieve three times. Do not grieve, do not grieve, do not grieve. We're going to go celebrate. Not only are we going to celebrate, but we're going to include other people in the celebration. When's the last time that you had a good party because of what you've done for God? Have you ever had a good party because of what you've done for God? We should celebrate the victories and the wins that we've had. They just built a wall in 52 days. And yes, the word of God cut them to the quick and cut them to the core. I get it. But Nehemiah was like, hey, this is not the time for this weeping and mourning. This is a time to celebrate because what God has done. 
If it's true that all of the Bible points to Jesus Christ, I believe what's happening here is we're getting a picture of the fact that Jesus died and rose again so we could celebrate and have life and life abundant. And he doesn't want us to mourn and weep for that. He wants us to celebrate. But what is taught in church? Deal with your sin. Figure out what you're saying. You better get on your knees. You better. And they did. There's a piece of that. There's an element of that. So don't hear me wrong. Now, I'm not saying there's a, not a right place for that. But so many times it's been taught in church where that's all you do. You need to be humble in spirit. You need to be broken in spirit. You need to just weep and mourn in the ways that you've missed God. When I believe our Heavenly Father is like, okay, great. I'm glad. I, I sent Jesus for that. So why don't you go party a little bit? Why don't you go enjoy and celebrate what Jesus has done for you so that you can have that joy, which will be your strength, which will give you boldness and courage to follow through on what I've put in your heart so you can step out, because I'm going to give you favor, even amongst the resistance. As you partner with other people, you're going to do great and mighty things, which, man, you gotta, you got to have that joy, and you got to have that celebration, and it's this sick little thing. We do something for God. We celebrate. We rejoice. We get encouraged. We have more boldness. We strength. And we just, we take off. But at some point in there, I've been taught, I don't know about you, but I've been taught that you can't enjoy serving God. That it's supposed to be something that is a sacrifice. And it's not going to be fun. And I'm not saying that it's not going to be hard work. I believe that when God puts something in your heart, there's a lot of hard work, painful toil and sweat, tears that go into it. But you know what? There should be a joy that comes out of it. And maybe that's a litmus test. If you don't have that joy, maybe you're doing a good thing and not the God thing. Heavenly Father, thank you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your, your truth that you give to us. We thank you for the stories of the Bible that are there to inspire, encourage, challenge. And God, I pray for, for all of that right now as, as everybody that is listening to me. Um, God, I pray that you would stir in them the passion that you've, you've designed for each one of them, the thing that breaks your heart that you have placed into each one of us that should break our heart. And God, help us to recognize that and then help us to bring that to you and to pray about it and to confess it to you. And the Lord, as we do that, I pray that you begin to give us favor and boldness and courage to step out in those things. And God, give us something inside of us that will follow through no matter what the persecution, no matter what the resistance. And as we face that resistance, we stand against the devil. The word of God says, resist the devil, and he must flee. And so we come against the enemy, and we tell him what your word says. We vocalize it and say, he must flee and leave us alone to the thing that you've called us to build. And as we do it, help us to partner with one another. And then Lord, as we have victories in what we're doing, help us to celebrate those things. But also Lord, help us to keep your word at the foundation of what we're doing. And Lord, God, I, I am so excited to know what a body of believers would look like if we all followed into this and carried our stones, the appropriate ones that you've given us and, and we built together. So Lord, help us to do this well. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.